Good morning. Welcome to New Life. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're excited to have you here today, and we know that God's going to do something wonderful in our midst. Um, I just love New Life, don't you? Yes. And I love the people of God. And most of all, what I love coming together for is to worship Jesus together corporately. And I know that we worship him and um, walk with him daily. I hope that you're doing that. But there's just something wonderful and beautiful. And hello, Tanya. I haven't seen you in church for a long time. You've been online. Um, so <laughs> it's good to have you here. I'm glad to see your face. Um, but it's so good to worship corporate. There's a beautiful expression when we do that. So would you stand and join me with prayer? Lord Jesus, we are humbled and excited today that we can gather together and unite as one voice, giving you praise, adoration, and worship. And I thank you for every person in this room, every family they represent, and everyone joining with us online, because you promised where two or three of us are gathered, you are in our midst. And where you are, Jesus, there is abundant life. In your presence, sorrow turns to joy. The lame walk, the blind see, and we find peace, hope, and the forgiveness of sin. We lift you up, Jesus, this morning and give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will Jesus, every war he wages 
going to see it. We're going to see it.
just a mighty God. Almighty. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power. So whatever you need today, he can help you with it. But you got to call upon him. You got to believe that. You got to trust him. He wants to change everything. He wants to get breakthrough. Let's go ahead and uh, dismiss the kids at this time. Even though you're going to miss me singing a hymn.
I know that's, that's hard for them. You may be seated. There was a time that we used to call worship leaders, song leaders. That was my generation. So I'm going to lead a song today. You're going to, it's going to scare you. You'll never come back. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been in the pulpit, so give me some grace. Uh, you would think a couple of weeks of vacation from the pulpit would make me a better preacher, but it just makes me more um, out of shape. It's kind of like exercise. Once you stop exercising for a while, you just get out of shape, so it's hard to start again. So give me some grace today if you would do that. If you want, if you've got your Bibles, um, turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. It got quiet all of a sudden. What happened? You guys were singing so loud. Is he still an almighty God? Amen. Amen. So the passage we're going to study today requires a little background because we've kind of been, uh, we had Pastor Showerman preach the first week. I have to say Pastor Showerman because I want you to tell him that I said his dad's name. <laughs> but Pastor Showerman preached the first week and then Pastor Verlin, Pastor Munson, sorry, I should have said it that way preached last week, and then, then you're stuck with me now. So anyway, so I got to catch you guys up a little bit. So in this passage we're going to read today, Israel had been living under the siege of an enemy for seven years, and they were starving, and they were struggling. And they cried out to God for help, and God sent them a deliverer by the name of Gideon. And Gideon wasn't the kind of deliverer that you would think that you would look for. You, you would think you would look for a deliverer to be strong and mighty and powerful and you think he'd be tall and good looking like me <laughs> humble very humble very humble guy but it's not who you'd think he would be but God promised him victory over the enemy and Gideon believed that faith goes a long ways when you actually have it when you actually believe what God can do who God is and what he can do in your life so before we get to that day of victory that we keep talking about, and I keep pushing off till March, because March is when we're going to get to the day of victory. Um, there's some things we need to understand that God required of Gideon to gain that victory that I think we're missing in a lot of our lives. We kind of know that God does these things, but we don't realize there's some things he asks of us to give us victory. It's not just calling upon him and saying, win this battle for me. There's some things that he's going to expect from you as well. And so the reality is we all go through seasons of great difficulty. It could be um, seasons of great loss or seasons of great suffering. Maybe 2022 was not your year. And maybe you're looking forward to a new year without the 2022 issues. Maybe you've had a difficult childhood. Maybe you had a difficult marriage. Maybe you had a difficult moment. Whatever it is, some of us went through difficult times in the last year. And maybe at some point in time you felt like you were starving or you were struggling. And at that moment you cried out to God for help. How many of you in the last year had, just had to cry out to God? Not, I'm not talking about pray. I'm talking about just weep and beg God that if God doesn't show up, you're going you're gonna to lose everything. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose whatever. You had to cry out to God. How many of you had to cry? So you get what I'm talking about. You get the, that moment where you know that if God doesn't show up, nothing's going to survive. And what would you do if God said to you in that moment that you cried out to him, he, he would say, I'll give you victory, but there's something you need to do 
There's something you need to do before I give you victory. And what he said to Gideon, I think he says to us, what what it was was I need you to remove your idols. I'll give you victory, but there's some idols in your life that you're putting above me or even making me equal to. And I'm God. I'm almighty God. I'm not just like the gods that you worship on on the earth. And so that's where we begin in Judges chapter 6 and verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, to Gideon, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and, and cut down the Asheroth, which was beside it. Now, the Asherah was just a grove of trees that would identify where false worship was, but they also worshiped the Asheroth as well. So they were idols as well. Cut it down. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, and the stones laid in due order. order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the word with the wood of the Asheroth that you shall cut down. So the, the grove of trees that you cut down, make an offering using that wood. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of the family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Let me just throw this out here so you understand what happened. Sometimes it's scary to deal with sin, especially if it's not just your sin, but it's other people's sin. Sometimes it's scary to deal with the, the, the negatives of your life. You, you know there's sin in your life. You know there's things you're not doing right. And it's kind of scary sometimes to deal with it. So that's why he did it by night. Children of Israel were suffering under the curse of God because of their sins. And before God would give them victory, they had to remove the curse. And once the nation cleansed itself of sin, God said, I'll deliver you. Once it cleansed itself of sin, God said he'd deliver them. So what was the cause of the curse? If we're going to study this out, we need to understand what, what, what the curse was. It's simple. Israel rejected God's truth. They just rejected God's truth. The first time God saved Israel from an enemy, he revealed himself to Israel through Moses. And he said to them, he said that to them on the mountain uh, of God, he said these things in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. He gave them some... Ten expectations, but two of them were the most important. He said, and God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. So just just imagine for a moment God speaking to you. He's delivered you from your your sins. He's brought you to a place. uh, He's going to lead you into a promised life, a promised land. And he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me pretty straightforward. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them uh, or serve them for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what, what was happening here was God was re- revealing himself as the one true God. And he says, there's no other God before me. I want you to worship me. I'm deserving of that worship. I am, I am the one true God. All the other gods are false gods. And so what was happening is because of this, this discipline, this chastening of God, they were literally, um, their God was just a God of other gods. So there was, God just became a God of another God. So they just, they had the God of Sunday and then the God of Monday and the God of Tuesday and the God of Wednesday and the God of Thursday, God of Friday, Saturday. And then they'd come back to the God of Sunday. 
it's idolatry, but what it, what it really is, is they just had more gods than one. And before God would give them victory, they had to deal with this issue of idolatry. And I thought about that, and I thought about how there's some modern-day idols that we worship. We have a God that we believe in that can do anything, but we also have some other gods that we worship just as equally as much as we worship the one true God. And I just wrote down a, a bunch of them. They're a little bit different. Um, but we worship the God of identity. We identify ourselves not by our Christian faith, but by other things, our preference. I am this or I am that. And so we worship that. Pronouns are big today. And you can offend somebody very much if you don't identify them by the pronoun that they want to be identified by. And they will be offended if you don't uh, use the pronoun they expect. Now, you're all uncomfortable now. Political parties. We identify by political parties. We're more concerned about, about our political parties than we are about our relationship with Jesus Christ, our identity in Christ. And we will worship that. We will, we will say, I'm a Christian, but I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. And you will identify by that. And we worship that. We worship those identities. We worship money. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. We place our hope and trust in, in what we are given financially. I, I know that because some of you feel better when you have more money in the bank than when you don't. How many of you are at peace when you have, like, tons of free money? <laughs> now, I'm talking to most people that don't have tons of free money, but... <laughs> But I, but I know you feel better. You feel more at peace when your bank account's full. When you've done all the Dave Ramsey steps and you've got your house paid off and you've got some old used junker car and you've got money in the bank and no one can come take your stuff away because you worship money. Even though God said you can't serve God and money, we still serve or put money up to almost the same level as we put God. I'm going to skip that one. Uh, we worship how we look. You know, some of you worship how you look so much that you hate the way you look. And you're depressed about the way you look. I'm getting older and I'm turning grayer. I hate the way I look. Because I've got this thing going on here with my throat. I don't know what, what it is. I don't really understand it. It's just not right. I could, I could, you know, when you take a picture, you got to hold your head back so you don't want the chicken, what do they call it, a chicken something? I don't know. But some of you will actually change your physical body to make it fit into what you think is perfect. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying that we worship ourselves so much that we will do physical harm to ourselves to make us look like... Like, some of you don't need to diet. Well, you heard the creak here. I guess I need to. <laughs> some of you are, just, that's just the way you, that's just your size. Some of you wish you were taller. What's wrong with being short? You can get all the stuff down below that when you get old, you can't reach very easy. So, <laughs> so you just don't put stuff up high. 
or you invite Pat over and ask Pat to get it because Pat. <laughs> or Pat, you know, Pat, are you bothered? You know, maybe some days you're bothered that you're so tall. Maybe you wish you were like more normal size like me. <laughs> so you'll actually hold yourself down. Every time I hug Pat, I, I put my face right into his armpit. It's a horrible experience. <laughs> he smells good. Just... We worship entertainment. We are obsessed with a constant need to be entertained. Like if, if we go to church and we're not laughing, like I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm, but if we're not laughing, we just think it, that's just a cold, hard message. Because we want to be entertained. Like some of you um, just won't go certain places if you don't feel like you're going to laugh or have joy from it or get whatever you're looking for. We worship sex. It's said that the the second thing we think about more than, than money, the thing we think about right under money is sex. And we take something that's a gift of God and we pervert it to where we make it the number one thing in our life. I'm not saying it's not whatever, but I'm just saying that we worship it. We worship comfort. If it's not easy, this generation won't do it. You worship comfort. It's got to be easy. Work has to be easy. Work is work. That's why you go to work. That's why we call it work. If we called it fun, it'd be a whole different thing. But when God gave us work in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, he didn't make it fun. He just said it's going to be work. It's not going to be, but, but we don't want to do it. Some of you struggle in your marriage. Listen, I've been married for 38 years to this saint of a woman, and it's been a lot of work for her to be married to me. She's had to work at having grace and having, showing love and showing mercy. Been a lot, of, yeah, you can say that now, but the truth is it's, But if you want to last 38 years, you're going to have to understand, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work at holding your tongue. Amen. We're going to get to children in a minute. Hold on, don't get ahead of me. We worship phones. We worship these things. You know what's funny? 30 years of being in church. I was a deacon and then I, was, I became the pastor. No one has ever called the church and said, I left my Bible at the church. But I can't tell you the number of times I get phone calls saying, I lost my phone. You leave your Bible at home and be like, oh, nah, it's not a big deal. Just pick it up later. But you leave your phone at home, you'll turn around and go back. You, you, you can't be anywhere without these things. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect at that. I'm just saying that we have a tendency to worship. This becomes a God really quickly. I remember when cell phones went from brick phones to actually these things that we're looking at today. Flip phones, that that was a cool time. (laughs) But then you started to be able to do everything on it and it just became more of a God to us. But I, I remember when people were developing this passion for their phones and they didn't care what it cost. They would, they would sacrifice food to have a phone. They would sacrifice what, whatever for the phone. I, I remember when tithes and offerings stopped coming in because, peop, because people wanted to have, needed a phone more than they needed God. 
And I literally watched people say, I, I need, I, this is more important to me than God. We worship family. Children are a gift of God. Don't get me wrong. But they should never be worshipped as God. In fact, Jesus said that we should love God so much that it should look like we don't like our children. We should love God so much that it should be look like we don't love our children. And yet, I'm finding today in this generation where if your children don't want anything to do with God, suddenly you'll stop wanting anything to do with God. Because all you want to do is make your kids happy when you should want to make your kids holy. Amen, I can tell you're excited about that. And these are just some of the gods that we worship. There's, there's so many other gods that we worship. But understand, the worship of, of idols is more subtle than you think. And I'm going to confess this to you today. I woke up on Friday, and it's my day off. I get every Friday, they actually let me go and, and not do anything. But I almost always, on Fridays, make sure I read my Bible and I pray. But I was feeling good physically on Friday, and so I had some things out on the property that I needed to do that I haven't done in two years because of my, my things I've been going through the last couple of years. So I felt good, and I woke up in the morning. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm pumped. I'm so excited. And I started working on these projects out. I'm doing lawnmower out in, in the yard at 6.30 in the morning. Because I'm so excited about being in my yard and picking up branches. It was just, I mean, I could actually bend over and pick it up without going, ah! I mean, it was great. And Deborah and I went on a date and we're driving out of town. And one of, the, one of our church members calls me up and says, hey, would you pray for so-and-so? Uh, I just need you to be praying for this thing. And I, and I thought to myself, I didn't pray today. I was so excited about getting on with my day. I was so excited about my things that I didn't stop and say, God, I need you to be the God of my day. I didn't read his word. I didn't want to hear what God had to say. I had other things that I was going to take care of. And it starts so subtly. You don't even know what's happening. And suddenly God becomes less important in the moment and what you're doing becomes more important. And suddenly it becomes an idol. Because I could have done the same thing on Saturday. If I, if I wouldn't have caught myself, I could have woke up on Saturday and said, I got things to do. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I could wake up on Sunday and say, you know what? I got other things that I got to do today that are, that are more important to me that need to be done on the weekend. This is the weekend. I'm going to do it today. I know, I know I'm supposed to be in church, but it's just a subtle transition in making something other than God more important to you. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord that is my name. My glory will I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We've got some idols in our life. You want victory in your life. You want God to move in your life. You want God to be almighty to you. And he says, yeah, but you're making me equal to all these other gods that aren't gods at all. And you need to get rid of those gods before, before I give you victory. So how do we correct the curse? Correct the curse is simple. I don't, I don't want you to forget this. Two bulls in a grove. Two bulls in a grove. That's how you get rid of the, 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 the curse. Gideon was told to take his father's bull and offer it to God for a sin offering. And this would be a declaration or the recognition of the sin and Gideon's repentance of it. 
So the first thing we must do, if we're going to get rid of the idol, is we need to recognize what the idol is that's becoming more important than God, and we need to repent of making that an idol. He was then told to offer a second bull, one seven years old, and now seven years was how long they were in bondage. So it was a consecration offering to God. It was a dedication offering. What they're saying is, not only am I repentant of my sin, but I'm going to give my life, I'm going to surrender my life to, to this God that I'm calling upon. We sing a song. This is where the hymn comes in. We used to sing a song called, um, Take My Life and Let It Be. And I'm going to sing it, and it's going to sound horrible. But I want you to listen to the words. It is, it is hymn number 39 in your Songs of Hymns and Revival hymn book that we no longer put out. But the song goes like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of I'm off there. Of thy love, at the impulse of thy love. I can do that. That's easy to do. I can, I can give God my hands, can't I? We're the hands and feet of Jesus. I can do that. That's pretty easy to do. Second verse goes, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Always only for my king. It's easy to share the gospel. It's easy to share the gospel. And it's easy to sing songs of praise to God. Take my silver and my gold. Wait. <laughs> Not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Consecration seems easy until we get to that line in the song that says, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days. My moments and my days. The moments in your days that your phone is taken up. Because you're so busy scrolling that you're not seeking God. We give him our hands to help people. We give him our feet to share the gospel. We give him our voice to sing praise. But what do I withhold? What do I withhold from him? What, what am I pouring into something else and I'm withholding what is rightfully his? What about our moments that are flowing with ceaseless praise or senseless scrolling? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this about us as believers in Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a consecration offering. that We are supposed to live towards God as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect. See, idolatry will take away our consecration. Because we can be more consecrated, more sold out, more, more worshipful of 
so many other things. And so God just becomes another God in the midst of our other gods. We worship him, but we worship all these other things too. Instead of being a living sacrifice. And God says, I want to give you victory. But you've got so many other gods that you worship. Let them give you victory. Let your money give you victory. Tell me how that works out for you. When you win the lottery. And then you lose your marriage. And your kids. And your life. If you read the stories of people who win the lottery, who get lots of money, uh, surprisingly, their life falls apart, not gets better. Suddenly they have more friends than they know what to do with. They're only friends as long as you give them money. When you're poor, nobody comes to you for money because they know they can't get nothing out of you. And they just, they come to you for you, not for what you have, because you have nothing to give them. So your friends become real. There needs to be a declaration of surrender to God to get rid of your idol, to repent of it, to repent of worshiping a false God and then to consecrate yourself to the one true God. The declaration of consecration would be demonstrated by the death of the bull upon the remnants of the grove of the trees that in their false worship was used to identify the placement of false gods. So what's the last thing we have to do? Remove the grove of trees, meaning to remove the places of false worship. I wonder what would happen, because I'm really struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it in my own life, but I wondered what would happen if we asked the church, asked all the Christians in the building who belong to New Life, if you just gave up your phones for a week. You just turned them off, and you trusted God. Well, how would, what, what would happen if, well, what would happen if you wouldn't find out as quickly as you can with a phone and it's probably going to be a more positive experience in life? We don't, we don't know what to do. I mean, we, we, we don't know what to do without these gods in our life. What if you lost all your money? Would, I mean, wouldn't God still take care of you? I mean, we say that, but do you really believe that? What if you did right by God before doing right by your children and taught your children to do right by God? Would your children grow up and hate you because they, you actually brought them to church? Maybe, but those are kids that need to know Jesus Christ. See, you've got to remove the grove of trees. You've got to get rid of the places of false worship, the things in your life that you know are not the one true God. You gotta remove whatever's causing you to compromise the truth of the one true God. What is that thing that's causing you to compromise, to make God equal to all these other gods that aren't gods at all? We confess our sins towards God. We declare our faith in Jesus Christ, consecrating our lives to him. That's what he's asking us to do. And you got to destroy anything in your life that might be elevated over the one true God. So what in your life right now are you elevating over the one true God? What is it? Well, it's my job. Why, why is your job? Your job won't save you. 
Your job won't deliver you. He won't give you the victory that you think it will. It's just another God that's not a real God anyway. How much time do you spend thinking about money and fighting in your marriage over money? And if you had it, it would be just another fight because one of you would want to keep it all and the other one would want to spend it all. So you'd just be in a fight over what? Right? Money's not going to save you. You're going to go through difficult times and you're going to need the one true God. You're going to need the almighty God but you're going to have so many other gods in your life that God's going to say, I'm not going to help you until you get rid of the gods that you're worshiping that aren't true gods. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of worshiping false gods because they're not gods at all. They can't do what you think they're going to do. Confess your sin towards God. Declare your faith in Jesus Christ, consecrating your life to him and destroy anything in your life that might elevate over the one true God. I believe God wants to give you victory. But you're going to have to surrender your false gods. Now, I'm going to also add this because someone's going to ask the question. There's always a man that's man or woman that's smarter than me. It's not really hard to do. Are Christians under a curse of sin? Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Now therefore is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from Christ, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're really not under a curse of sin if, we're, if Jesus Christ is our Savior, but we can be under chastisement. So it might not be the curse of sin, but it might be the chastisement of a Savior. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. So if you're a child of God and you're worshiping a false god, don't be surprised when he chastens you. He's chastening you because you're worshiping a false God. And he says, I'm the one true God. Why would you worship a false God when you've got the one true God that's available? And so I've, I've thought of this. How do I address this moment? Because I believe God's provided a warning system to alert us to the moment we're worshiping false gods. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe that God's given us some some things to understand that when we're starting to worship false gods, these things will happen in our life. And it's out of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I'm not going to go to the chapter, just read it if you want. It's actually to the church, but we are the church. Amen? So it's talking not just to the church in general as, as, a, as a body of believers, but it's talking to the individuals as believers in Jesus Christ. So when you abandon your love for Christ and his teachings, he chastens us by removing his spirit. So when you, remember when you first got saved and you just passionately fell in love with Jesus Christ and you were willing to follow him wherever he would go. You were in the word, you were in prayer, you were in church, you were serving, you were, you were sacrificing, you were even suffering for the cause of Christ. But then suddenly these other gods got involved. And suddenly you stopped loving Jesus the way you loved him at first. He's not going to remove his spirit from you, but he, but he can't do it. But you'll grieve him and quench him to where you're getting no benefit out of the spirit of God. That's the chastening of the Lord. If you're going to ignore him, if you're going to worship other gods, God's going to say, fine, I'm just not going to speak to you the way that you want me to. 
I'm not going to empower you with my, my, my spiritual power if you're not going to worship me. When you stop being faithful during persecution, meaning you get uncomfortable having to follow him and trust him. The scripture teaches in Revelation chapter 2 that he'll bring tribulation. You, you'll be chastened by tribulation. I know this is not the message that you wanted to hear. You wanted me to go back to the other stuff. But when you compromise your beliefs, he'll put stumbling blocks in your way. When you follow false prophets, he says, I'll bring you sickness and great tribulation. Not just tribulation, he'll bring you great tribulation. When you're spiritually dead, but you think you're alive, he will show up one day and take you away, and you'll be shocked. He'll just show up and say, I'm taking you with me, let's go. Which being in heaven might be better than being on earth, but I don't want to be shocked by it. I don't want to wake up. I mean, if I die, I want to wake up and say, Jesus. I want to say that, but I don't want to say, Jesus. <laughs> that was not a cuss word, so be careful. Of that. When you stop being faithful because of tribulation, he'll close doors. You ever go through something and you feel like just God just keeps closing doors? Might be because you've got some idolatry going on in your life. You're worshiping some false gods. And you wonder why, why doesn't he open this door? I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. Well, it's because you've got these other false gods that you're worshiping. When you have a lukewarm faith, Jesus says this, he'll spit you out of his mouth. If you have a lukewarm faith, he would rather have you be on fire for Jesus or have you be so cold, you stop coming to church, you stop reading your Bible, you stop praying, and you say, I don't believe in God anymore. He would rather have you be ice cold then sit here and be lukewarm worshiping false gods. Chastening, though done with love in mind, can feel like a curse, but it's still God saying you've got some idols in your life. And the correction for a believer is similar to that of a non-believer. You must confess your sins that brought this correction upon you. What idol are you worshiping? What God are you making equal to or even greater than the one true God who you claim is your savior. And you must declare a willingness to consecrate yourself and your life to God. How long has it been since you actually surrendered to God and kept living a life of surrender? Where some of you surrendered early on in your faith life and then now you've kind of pulled back and you've got back into that comfort zone where you're, you're, not, you're not as surrendered as you used to be. You're not as consecrated. God's not that important to you anymore. It's just kind of, kind of a, it's just kind of a Sunday thing. It's just kind of a, a every once in a while thing. They, they, they say from the studies that the average Christian in America attends church once every six weeks. You don't even gather. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25 says, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're getting closer to the end time. Where God's, Jesus is going to come back on a white horse. He's going to take us away from this place. The world's getting worse. Look at, California is about to wash into the, into the ocean. They can talk about the sun down there all the time. We're, we're like, we're used to that stuff, right? The 
rain falling all the time is normal for us. But for them, it's freaking them out. The earth is groaning. The earth is, there's earthquakes and there's volcanoes and there's whatever else is going on out there. See, we just have it all the time, so we're used to it. We must remove whatever is causing the compromise, uh, the compromise to the point of God needing to correct us. God just wants to be loved. That's all he wants is to be worshipped as the one true God. That's all he wants. And, and he's worthy of that. Wouldn't you agree? He's worthy of being our number one God. He's worthy of being the only God in our life. He's worthy of us re- getting, getting rid of whatever is just drawing us away from him. And all he's asking is for us to identify him as who he really is and who he truly is, not who we make him to be just being another God. Two bulls in a grove. Christ, consecration, and cut down your idols. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have you surrendered your life to him? And would you cut down your idols and use the idols as an offering to God? I'm going to read a very large passage of scripture. We're going to go home in just a minute because I got to get the kids out of the room. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say that you're not worshiping false gods and you are, God's paying attention to that. He knows you're lying. And you're not doing the truth. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I knew I should have had that. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, I don't think he just gave me this sermon so I would have something to say on Sunday so you could be entertained for an hour or maybe not entertained for an hour, maybe uncomfortable for an hour. I think he gave it to us because some of you are saying you don't have any sin, but there's some idols that you're worshiping that are keeping you from the victory that you need in your life. There's some gods that you're making equal to the one true God and you're worshiping them and you won't cut them down and you won't consecrate yourself to him and you won't confess your sin. So he has to bring a message like this to help you understand that he wants to give you victory. We as Christians should be the most victorious people on the planet. We should have the best marriages. We should have the best home lives. We should be the most happy people on the planet. God is our God. God is our God. Like whatever you go through, why, why are you stressing over it? God can take care of it. He's an almighty God. He's not just a mighty God. He's not just a money God. 
He's an almighty God. He can change your circumstances. But you keep looking to these other false gods that can't do anything for you that you think they can do. And you just make them equal to the one true God. If we say we have not sinned, we make, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous. That's what makes him so awesome. He's given us a lawyer to defend us in our own sin and our idolatry. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is fighting for you and saying, would you just cut down the groves? Would you just consecrate yourselves? Would you just confess your sin? I want to give you victory. I want to be involved in your life. I want you to win in life. He is a propitiation for our sins. Derek, I thought you'd like that word. But not only for ours, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He is our sin offering. He's the first bull that was sacrificed. In reconciling God and us by our declaration that Jesus' voluntary death as our sacrifice averted God's wrath on us. Which is why we only get chastening. We don't get a curse. And by our confession of sin and Jesus' crucifixion of our sin, the curse of sin was removed from us. Do you remember when that happened to you? You remember when the curse of sin was removed from you because you're, you trust Christ to be your Savior? Come on, church. Do you remember that time? Am I talking to save people or lost? Because if you're still lost, you're under a curse. And we want to save you, help you with that. Once that curse of sin was removed, we consecrated our lives to him. I remember being at the altar and just saying, whatever you want to do with my life, you are the one true God. It wasn't the job that I had at Wana. It wasn't the money that I made from there. It wasn't my marriage that was my God. It wasn't my children that was my God. I had one true God that saved me from my sins, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I cut down those idols, and I used them as an offering to send a sweet smell of sacrifice unto heaven. There's one last truth I want to share, and we'll be going home. When Gideon confirmed God's word by confession and by consecration and by cutting down the grove, cutting down the false gods, God then communicated his next steps. And one of the reasons why you're still stuck in your battle is because you're still worshiping a false god. And he won't communicate your next steps until you confess your sin. Consecrate yourself. Give yourself to him. And cut down those idols. God gave Gideon clarity with an honest confession of sin and repentance of, of, of that sin and the removal of idols. And I wonder, how many of you really need God right now? then you need to get your house in order. And that means putting God first in your life. It means 
confessing the sin of idolatry. So what are you worshiping more than the one true God? It means consecrating or giving your life to him. And it might be just a moment where you say, I, I, I'm going to give my life back to you, God. I've, I've, I've taken my life back. I've lived for myself, but I need to live for you. And cut down those groves. Cut down those idols. Leave no place in your life for false gods. Like, if your spouse looks at you, they don't see anything that you're worshiping other than the one true God. I live with a woman that is a worshiper of God 24-7. And I can tell when she's got false gods because she stresses. But I can tell when she's got the one true God because she sings. She just sings and sings and sings. And she's looking at me, trying to get me to repent of my own idolatry. God wants to give you victory. Do you get that today? You say, well, I don't need victory. Praise God for you. I mean, praise God. I'm honest. Either you're you're not under a curse, praise God for that, or you're not under chasing, praise God for that. But if you are, God's given you a way out, and his name is Jesus Christ. But you need to confess your sin. Consecrate yourself to God. Cut down those groves. And then God will give you clarity to give you victory. Are you ready for that? Let's, let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, there's going to come a day, I believe, in some of these people's lives very soon, where they're going to get victory over something that they've been wrestling with for a long time. That you're going to destroy that that's been starving their soul. You're going to defeat that which has been a battle for them for years. But we've got to be honest and confess our sin. Today's the day to do that, Father. I just believe that today you're just up in heaven. I, I believe Jesus is sitting there next, next to the throne saying, they're, they're, they're coming, they're going to come and repent. and confess their sins and it's through me that I've forgiven them so their sins are already forgiven they just need to call upon me and Father I believe today is a day where there's going to be some consecration happening maybe we recognize that we haven't been worshiping the one true God we've been worshiping these other false gods and we're going to give ourselves not to those false gods but we're going to give ourselves today to the one true God he's going to become our life today. Like maybe it was when we first started following you and we fell away from that and we started worshiping these false gods, just like Israel. But we're gonna make you number one today. And maybe today, Father, maybe today, there's some idols we're gonna cut down. We're gonna confess them. We're gonna consecrate ourselves to you, taking ourselves from them. And we're going to cut down that grove and offer you an offering of our life. 
Father, we need that today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you do me a favor? Maybe you don't need any of these steps. Maybe you can help somebody with them. But if you've got some idolatry in your life, you need to confess that. Now's the time to do it. Now's the time to just call upon him and confess it. Just say, Father, this is what I'm worshiping right now. More than you. This is a false God in my life. It may not have been something that Pastor Andy identified, but I know this is something that I'm worshiping more than you. I know I'm making it just another God. You're just another God in this list of gods that I have in my life. And I'm confessing that as sin today because you said that I shouldn't worship any other God but you. You are the one true God. You are the one worthy of my praise. You are the one worthy of my life. And I'm giving my life to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just, just, I just want just an honest confession. How many of you be honestly, honestly confess that you've been worshiping false gods? Amen. Man, I appreciate that. What about those needing to consecrate? Maybe you need to give your life back to God. Maybe you need to surrender your life to him. Again. Just offer him your life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my idols, my silver, my gold. Let me offer you endless praise. Let me just offer you endless praise today. Because you're a forgiving God. You're a gracious God. You're a kind God. You're a true God. You're a Savior God. How many of you would say, I need to consecrate myself. I need to surrender my life again to God. It's been a while. Raise your hand. I need to consecrate myself. Amen. He's worthy of your life. And finally, how many of you be honest today and say, I need to cut some groves down. I need to cut some idols out of my life. Here's the idol. I've confessed it as sin. I've given myself to you. I've consecrated myself to you. And I, now I need to cut this out of my life. But Father, I can't do it without your help. I can't do it without your leadership in my life. I need it to be very clear that this is an idol that needs to be cut out. Speak to me through your spirit. Let your spirit speak the truth about what I'm worshiping and who I'm worshiping. Speak to me now. Here's my idol. I'm offering it up as a sacrifice to you. Here's my idol. How many of you be honest today and just raise your hand as a testimony to this truth that you've got some idols that you've cut down or you need to cut down? Amen. I got to cut them down. I got to cut them down. I can't have any evidence of false gods in my life because the one true God sees all. And I need him to give me victory. 
Father, today we're getting our house in order. Is the church, if there are some false gods that we've been worshiping, we need to repent of that today. And we need to consecrate ourselves as a church family, as a church body, to making sure that we believe that you can do all things, that you are almighty, that you will give us victory over the trials and tribulation of life, that we will not lose our first love, we'll get our first love back. And that we as a church will consecrate ourselves to you. That we will be all about you. We're about you, Jesus. And that anything that we're worshiping above you, anything that we're making bigger than God, we would cut it down and offer it up to this offering right now. Offering to you. You are our God. You are the true God and you are worthy of our praise today. Be with these people today, Lord God. Continue to work in their lives. Continue to work through their hearts, through this, through your spirit to reveal to them areas in their life that they're making you equal to or bigger than the one true God. We love you so. And it's through Jesus Christ that we get this opportunity. So if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they're under a curse. They just need to call upon you, repenting of their sin, confessing their sin, surrendering their life, consecrating themselves to you. And therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Cut down those groves. Save them today, Lord. We love you, and I just thank you for this congregation. Help us, Lord God, to be worshiping you as the one true God. We love you, and Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, you may be seated just for a second, because I'm going to make you stand up in just a minute again anyway. I can't think of any announcements that I was supposed to make, so there's no announcement to be made. Thank you for your offerings, your trust in God, and your trust in this ministry. We were just recently able to purchase some Bibles. And, and just so you understand, there was a time where people were wanting their Bible on their phones. And now it seems like there's a generation that wants a paper Bible of their own. Where we just purchased a bunch of those. We're going to be passing some of those out. So thank you for your faithful giving to that. So let's, let's pray real quick. And then... Gracious Heavenly Father, you have been good to this church and you have been good to us as people. And you've blessed us with all riches from heaven. And we just want you to know that we believe in you. And we're consecrating ourselves to you. And we're not going to have any idols over you. You are the one true God. You get all of our praise. You get all of our worship. Help us to have clarity in our lives that we may get victory over the enemies that are trying to destroy us. We love you so much. Thank you, and Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said.